Welcome to In the Isles, a movie and TV podcast. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Daniel Acton. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching. We'll discuss some real news. And for our main review, we're talking about Tesla. It's going to be a very interesting episode. And also, time to celebrate, James. We've hit a milestone. Yes, this is the 20th episode. Double digits. Oh, no, we did that at 10, didn't we? Yeah. We're legal to drink in America. No, that's 21. Um, it's 20. It's it's a big one. 20% the way there to 100 episodes, and that can't be nothing but a good thing. So pat on the back to us. Yep. And we'll be discussing, I suppose, later on. I think we, I think we should reminisce a bit and, and talk about what this podcast could have been had everything not been dramatically impacted by the new Black Plague. Yes, we could talk about the films that we could have watched. But before that, how are you? I went camping for the first time, got a tent, went camping in the Peak District. It was great. I loved it until about eight o'clock when the lantern, the light that we bought, it just went dead after a very short period of time. So we went the rest of the night on the phone, light, went to bed. And then from about 1am, it was just too cold. It was way too cold. I think we just made a massive error with sleeping bag choice and couldn't really get to bed and actually seriously said to each other, should we just go home? But it's too dark to take the tent down and we don't have a light, so we'll just have to just go with it (laughs) until sunrise. All in all, a really good trip. Yeah, it didn't sound it, but I'll, I'll take you at your word. Can I just establish as well, first time camping ever? Yes. What? First you like had to put up with songs of praise at tea time, and now this. You, you've <laughs> lived a troubled childhood, James. I've not. What have you been doing? Uh, not a lot, because we're not allowed to do a lot these days, but coronavirus story. So a friend who shall remain nameless. He, she, them were telling me that they've been brought back to work and basically somebody's tested positive for coronavirus. So the business has then gone about collating all the necessary info. Who have you been in contact with? Whereabouts in the building have you been? Blah, 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 blah. Got all that info down. Is there anything you would like to add, kind sir or lady? Because we don't know. It's gender neutral. And he said, she, oh yeah, sorry, I shared a SIG as well at the SIG shelter with someone. So that might be an issue. What is wrong? What is wrong with people? Not took one out of somebody else's packet, shared one between each other. This country. So that's not what I've been doing, because that would make me an absolute idiot. Can't believe that. Can't believe it. And a smoker, more of a high-risk group. Yeah. They're just alone to themselves. Well, just take care of each other, like we often say at the end of the episode. We'll say at the start, take care of each other. We've been responsible. We've been staying in watching streaming content, including for you, your punishment from last week's conflicts of interest. Kill and kill again. Yeah, thank you so much for this. So I've had a poorly child and I've had to endure this film with very little sleep. But yeah, I'm committed to this podcast. So I did it. So begrudgingly so that I mildly hated you for at least an hour and a half. <laughs> But I've watched it. I have watched it. So Kill and Kill Again. This is a sequel, I later discovered, to Kill or Be Killed, or better known as Karate Killer, starring distinctly average martial artist James Ryan as Steve Chase, who, by the way, has a a completely different name in the first film. He's called Steve Hunt, but that's never explained. So problem number one. Tell you the plot synopsis. He is hired by Candy Kane to rescue her father, Dr. Horatio Kane, who has accidentally discovered a mind-controlling drug whilst researching potatoes as an energy source. (laughs) As you do, as you do. Within the first 10 minutes, you get a man doing a forward flip with a bin into someone's face. 
a champagne bottle that's also a bomb that he throws out of a window, a man who picks chopsticks up with his feet and then proceeds to levitate sideways rather awkwardly across a darkened room. Oh, it's just unbelievable. There's, there's then, following that, a tug of war between main character, Steve Hunt slash Chase, and a character I'll go on to in a minute because it's, it's problematic. They're having a tug of war. Our lead character, our protagonist, wins, pulls the other guy into the mud, and the guy responds by saying, Not funny. What's the big idea? What did he think was going to happen in a tug of war? Seriously. What, what was the outcome going to be? This guy that I'm referring to, by the way, he's, he's a black man who is a wrestler called Gorilla. I'm not sure that you would get away with that today. And, and without me even going down that route of thinking, is this racial? This is an issue. There is a line 10 minutes later where he's on a plane and he rips open a toilet door. And one of the uh, stewardesses responds by saying, I thought he'd never been let out of the zoo before. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, it's 1981, this, isn't it, if I remember rightly? Yeah, yeah. That, out of the way, the plot is all over the place. Nothing makes sense at all. Scenes just melt together in an abysmal disarray of editing. It, it's awful. The, there's more stereotypical grunting in this film when it comes to the martial arts than a soft or hardcore porn film. It's like literally, yeah. For like half an hour, non-stop. It's ridiculous. The scenes with the fighting are very laughable and over the top. But there's, there's a scene, right, at the end. It's the very end scene. And the guy's trying to escape, the bad guy. And Gorilla stops him from doing so by grabbing the propellers on the helicopter that he's trying to escape from and succeeds in doing so. That that's In fact, that's not the very last scene. So the very, very end, there's a line where our hero, Steve Chase slash Hunt, says to all his like, fellow men who are with him, can somebody else not drive for a change? To which Gorilla says, go on then. And he's like, oh, you're on. Then they all ride off into the desert, arguing about the speed that they're travelling at. And then you hear a car crash in the distance. So it's... The last bit of it is like weirdly, jokingly implying that they've all died in a massive car crash. And then it cuts to credits after that. that, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's awful. So I I did laugh twice. Once I was the one time that I did laugh, I was really pissed off because as I say, my son was ill. I'd finally got him to sleep and then I ended up pissing myself laughing, which woke him up, and then the cycle just repeated itself. Oh, this was punishment. I've got to be honest. One laugh does not warrant an hour and 40 minutes of this nonsense. When I was looking for one, I saw Kill or Be Killed. Is it the first one? Yeah. I saw that and I thought, oh, I'll pick the sequel because that's probably even worse. You're an evil man, you. Well, I'm glad. I don't know what I'm glad for. I'm just, you know, good. Good. Good for you for watching it. That's the price you pay for having a unfavorable opinion, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Have you watched anything that's actually good? Good, yes. Whether I'd recommend it, I, I don't know. Kept up with tradition. I watched American Murder, The Family Next Door on Netflix, which is the true story of family annihilator Chris Watts, who murdered his wife, Shanann, and their two children. Fair enough, I'll give that away, but it was a pretty well-publicised story at the time, and a lot of people do know this, so if you don't, it's your fault. And it's in the title, pretty much, so... Yeah, yeah, I'm not spoiling anything there. This is an awful story. It is actually quite heartbreaking. It's, it's not nice at all. Now, apart from the woman who has been murdered being called Shanann, and not Shannon, because that's how it's spelled, which is a problem. My other problem with it is, let's be honest, the crime genre is just an out-of-control hit at the minute. Like, everyone's going mad for it, from podcasts to documentary series, films, just people cannot get enough, including myself. They're just, we're lapping it up. And what I really liked about this documentary is that everyone has come to think of this as, like, a form of entertainment, including myself. I'm not saying that I get some mad kick out of it. I don't. I just find that area of the human mind quite interesting but this really puts into perspective the fact that this is people's lives like people have lost their lives and a lot of the time 
I'm not saying that doesn't occur to me. I'm not saying it's a revelation to me that, oh my God, yeah, these are actual human beings that have lost their lives. That's pretty obvious. But the good thing about this, or the tragic thing, should I say, is that the mother who was murdered, she spent quite a lot of her life on social media. So you get to learn and see a lot about her and her two daughters. And it's a very intimate and personal glimpse into her life. Now, now in hindsight, having said that, there is a bit of a facade going on there. So she's trying to put about her most perfect life on social media. But irrespective of that, these are people. And you see like genuine tender moments between the mother and her two children. And to see the aftermath of what happens, it just adds an extra layer of emotion to it. And you just see this family who are no longer with us anymore. So moving past the rather awful side of it in addition to the use of social media which adds that sort of like emotional connection to it you also get exclusive front row seats to the initial report and investigation of this crime through like police body cam footage and then you get the interviews with the suspect himself so as i said before it's a very intimate insight into what went on in this now infamous case and i did find it you never guess it morbidly interesting but it really did break my heart. Like the last 20 minutes, me and my partner were in floods of tears looking at each other. I was having a notebook style moment where I was trying to keep it in and I just couldn't anymore and just let out, a, <laughs> which was rather embarrassing. <laughs> but I was left thinking, and time will tell, do I really want to pursue this sort of misery anymore? Or do I want something a bit more joyous with less death in? That's how this left me. So quite a profound impact to be honest, it's got me reassessing my not only cinematic, but life choices. Does it openly question the genre or was it was it all just you and your own reflections questioning it? No, that was very much an introspective thought process that I had. It doesn't in any way really challenge that. In fact, I think it is meant to do completely the opposite. It's like, oh, look at all this. Isn't this juicy? Look at all this footage we've got. It's not going for that at all. I just felt a bit wrong watching some of it because I thought, this is very involved. Do you know what I mean? Like he, the main guy who committed these awful crimes, he was having an affair and they interview his mistress. Thank you. His mistress. And she's quite candid and tells the detective what's gone on. But you think you are subject to abuse now that you're in this documentary. There's even like intimate photos of the murderer, Chris Watts, and a half naked picture that he's took of his mistress that they show. And I'm a bit like, she sanctioned this? Like, what? what's going on here? So it, it, it's it got its problems, and it isn't trying to make a statement on, oh, isn't this a bad thing? It's just how it left me feeling. But nevertheless, I do think there's enough in it that's interesting to make it worth recommending. Don't F with Cats, which was on Netflix, that has a brief moment where someone turns to the camera and says, you watching this documentary, you are perpetuating this type of thing. But yeah, then they just made do. more of them. So, exactly, I was going to say, which is a bit, bit rich coming from the fact that you made the documentary in the first place. Go yourself. So, anything that is positive, then? <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that is it. That's, that's it. That's, that's all I've watched. I'm sorry. Oh, that's... quick shout out. Actually, I'm not going to review it in detail. Nor can I actually say its title. But sick of green eggs and ham, which my son will just rinse repeatedly. I thought, do you know what? I can't do this anymore. Let's watch Jurassic Park, the new animated series on Netflix. And I'm only two, maybe three episodes in, but I'm quite pleasantly surprised. The first episode like, really captured the magic of that first film and you get the same use of music and that classic John Williams theme song that really helps punctuate what it's going for in terms of like, wow, this is amazing. But overall, I felt quite swept away with it. And uh, so far, I'm enjoying what I've seen. That's good. When is it set? I think it is set either in the midst of or slowly following the events of Jurassic World. That caught my eye, but I ignored it when I realised it was aimed at very young children. Is it Camp Cretaceous? I can't say it. Jurassic Crete- Park Camp Cretaceous? Cretaceous, maybe. That is exactly what it is. I remember them saying it now. Thank you. In which case, it might as well just be called Cretaceous Park. But there's a, that's a, you know they've got a branding problem there. Quite right, James. Don't know why you don't work in marketing. More to the point, what have you been watching? I've been watching brand new BBC drama, Life. 
Oh, right. I want to ask you some very specific questions on this. Tell me more. Not to be confused with the nature documentary, Life, which is also on the BBC. This is a six-episode drama written by Mike Bartlett. It's part of the Dr. Foster Expanded Universe. It's about a big house in Manchester that split into four flats. There's a teacher, a couple with a baby, a married couple in their 70s, and a divorced woman. The idea of it is, oh, life comes at you fast, just deal with it. These characters go about their lives and learn things about each other as they they fall out with each other. There's challenges that come with having a new baby or with growing older or with dealing with loneliness. In a city is sort of the main theme of it. I've seen it described as a soap opera after I've already watched episodes and I realise, yes, it is sort of a soap opera. It's slice of life, daily drama, but the quality is so high. The writing is brilliant. All the cast are absolutely perfect. They're on such a high level that I don't think it's fair to call it a soap opera. It's a very high quality British drama. And there was something warm and comforting about watching a good old fashioned British BBC drama after the other stuff that we've been watching. So I would highly, highly recommend it. To give you an idea of the quality of the acting, there's two words delivered by Victoria Hamilton, who also plays the Queen Mother in The Crown. She arrives at a party. She's not very happy, really. She turns up to this party as a social obligation and says, oh, happy birthday, and then walks off. And obviously, I've not done it very well there, but she does so much acting in just those two words, two words, that I felt like this is great quality. And there's another scene where Gail, the 70-year-old woman who's having a late life crisis, she's at a charity event and she just starts dancing on the dance floor, trying to let loose and be free. And it's a really good scene. And I turned to my wife and she was just sat there crying as we were watching it because it's just such a powerful drama, the whole thing. It's all so relatable. And so she can't stop saying how good it is because it is good. And I'm only two episodes in, four to go. And can't wait. There's one thing I want to ask you about, though. This is a scenario that's set up in the first episode. This is not a spoiler because it's stuff that happens before things start. Hannah gets pregnant via a one-night stand with Andy. Hannah then meets Liam. The pregnancy, I assume, is revealed at some point after that, soon. Hannah and Liam stay together while she's pregnant, and then she gives birth, and they are planning to raise this child, Hannah and Liam. And Andy's sort of in orbit around the relationship because he's the father of the child. And I'm watching it thinking, Liam who's the boyfriend that comes after the one night stand, how patient and accepting can one person be that he's come into this very early in the relationship and she said, oh, I'm pregnant from someone else. And he's gone, okay, I've only known you, what, like a month? But let's go with it. Oh, and the father, he's just going to hang around. That's fine. So it's not fine. That's like part of the whole drama of that thing. But the setup there just doesn't, just doesn't make sense. I just think, Liam, you've just just move on, Liam. Move on. You don't <laughs> you don't need to honor this. Leave it to Andy to do the honorable thing. Yeah. And I was just thinking, I'm gonna tread very cautiously now because I'm sure there's people out there that may be in a similar situation. But you've just summed up what I was going to say <laughs> if I didn't have a filter on. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like this is not getting into relationship with a single mother this is like she's newly pregnant and he's going i'll stick around for this even though i've just met you and it's got nothing to do with me and there's no sort of honor bound yeah commitment here i completely get where you're coming from but i'm going to throw a real life scenario at you now so imagine 20 year old newly single me after my first failed relationship and i cannot get with anyone for love nor money it's been 18 months Do you know what I mean? Things are are growing cobwebs. But then you meet someone and you go, oh, this has been a long time. And they go, but I'm having a kid like in the next three months. And you just go, go on then. It's better than than nothing. Uh, Never in that scenario. So I don't know. But just imagine somebody who's desperate. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Or maybe I'm just, I'm just awful. And I can't relate to someone that is. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, it, it just seems like it's 
it's a challenging position to be put in, definitely. Yeah. Well, for Andy, I think for him, it's, you know, the honourable thing would be to be with Hannah, and that's a very relatable situation, and that's yeah. that's fine. That's a good thing to do. But with Liam, it's like, why, what what ties you to this, except you've decided, oh, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. Watch it, and then I'll okay. see. I Maybe we know. I've got four episodes left. Maybe it'll become clear to me what the F is going on. But Ah, she's got blackmail over him. That's the answer at the end. <laughs> Maybe our listeners are hearing this just thinking, oh my God, you've exposed yourself as being an awful person. But seriously, watch it and it doesn't make sense. My wife was saying the same thing. Not to keep on this program for too long, but I'm interested. How interconnected is it with this Dr. Foster universe? Because I've seen Dr. Foster and when I heard about this program, I thought I don't even remember that woman being in it. The official statement from the writer is you do not have to have watched Dr. Foster at all. It's not connected. Don't worry. Okay, okay. Perfectly good show in its own right, by the way. Did you watch it at the time? No, I didn't. I wish I did, though, because the Dr. Foster is also in... What's that comedy detective series called? A A Touch of Cloth. That's the one. Oh, classic. Awesome. She was in that as well. Yeah, any Charlie Brooker fans out there, seek out a touch of cloth. Before Black Mirror, this was the pinnacle of Charlie Brooker's career. And got a quick one. Not streaming video content, but audio content, which we've not done before, but I really want to. In the Oast House, the Alan Partridge podcast is absolutely awesome. It towers above all other comedy content. I could pick any five minutes out at random and say this is an example of why it's good because it's constantly good. But I'll just give you one example. There's a bit where he goes to Lynn's house. He finds Lynn's dead mother's stair lift and he tries out the stair lift. But he does a commentary of it as though he's reviewing a car. So he says, oh, yeah, good on the acceleration. And here comes a curve. Talk it beautifully. And then gives like, a final sum up of the comment saying, overall, a good proposition. Obviously, I'm not trying to repeat it and be funny, but that's the kind of content that goes deep inside this man's mind. He's an absolute maniac, and it's brilliant. There's even a bit where he says that he's going to turn it into a true crime podcast, and he says, do you want to hear the end of this sentence? Tune in next week, and all the music changes <laughs> to it being true crime because he sees one man briefly for one second on his security camera. It's just awesome. I'll completely second that as well. It's hilarious. My partner hated Alan Partridge and she actually demanded that I put this on in the car for the last few times we've been out on journeys because she's just loved it. It is up there. It's really, really good. That's what we have been watching. But what could we have been watching if it wasn't for someone dipping a bat in their pig soup? It's the real thing. It is now real, real predictions and talking about what could have been. Cineworld is temporarily closing completely until James Bond comes out. They've delayed it again from November to April 2020, bloody one. And Fast and Furious is delayed again, again, again. They did put it back a year from like May 2020 to almost a year. And now it's in April next year. I tell you what, I tell you what. I mean, we'll come on to it in a bit because I, I want to challenge both you and I to make some pretty bold predictions that I think we should revisit months from now and see how we've fared. But it's not looking good, is it? No. Was it in April that we started-ish? It was, I feel like it was June, to be honest. Well, we could have watched in this summer A Quiet Place Part 2. Wasn't a fan of the first, but I'll take your point. Okay, well, I, I was, so... Could have been a good good discussion. Go back and forth about whether it was good or not. No Time to Die, of course. UK hero, UK reviewers talking about it. What an episode that could have been. Do you not think it's killing Daniel Craig as well? Do you think he's a bit like, all right, he's getting paid mega bucks, but he's also thinking, oh, I just thought I'd put all this behind me by now. Yeah. Stay on for another year. He's like Hideo Kojima trying to leave the Metal Gear Solid series. He tried to hand it over in Metal Gear Solid 2. 
tried to do it again in Metal Gear Solid 3, and he was still making it by number five. Or to give a more relatable example, he's like Al Pacino in The Godfather. I thought I was out, but you pulled me back in. He must be, because even though he's made it, he's still got to do the press tour, even if it is a virtual press tour. And he's probably thinking as well, like, I'm getting on a bit now. Like, look at my haggard face. They can only apply so much makeup. I'm normally in bed by nine o'clock. Leave me to it. Hologram me in there to a press tour. I don't need to be there. If I was him, I'd just pre-record all my interview answers and just send those videos out to MGM or Sony or whoever and say, look, just use these. Either that or look at these teenagers now doing deep fakes of celebrities on the internet. Make him say whatever you want him to say. Get him in trouble. Do what you want. There's something in that, I think. There's something there. Make him say something so horrendous that you don't have to honour any more money that is owed to him. Sue him based on something he never said because you've superimposed his words onto a CGI face. We've taken this too far. I (laughs) apologise. We could have had our debut Marvel Cinematic Universe film. We could have had Black Widow. I had already prepared my comments for that just based on the trailer. They could have done a smaller scale Marvel film, a spy film like The Winter Soldier, but they had a big CG action fest at the end and ruined it. That's what I would have said. We said it a few weeks ago. We have picked a rather troubling time to start this podcast, but just reflecting on what could have been, it's kind of just putting the final nail in the coffin. I think you should call it quits, James. Yeah, let's leave it. 20 episodes is enough. Even Police Academy had to call it a day eventually. Top Gun was in December, so we could have been hyping up to that one. Could have been our year-end episode. What a crazy time. January this year. Oh, yeah, Top Gun, I can't wait. Now, oh, I hope I can spend Christmas with my family. Never mind seeing Wonder Woman, Black Widow and Top Gun. Am I even going to see a pantomime? Those days are gone. Another film. I'm thankful, actually. You might have forgotten about this one because I forgot completely. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, God, that had slipped to the back of my mind. Yeah. Disappeared into the ethos of my warped mind, that. July 10th, that would have been. That would have been an early episode for us. Instead of Lovebirds or Last Days of American Crime or Artemis Fowl. What's going to happen next year? There's going to be too much. Say things get sorted. How is all this going to get released? This is what I was thinking, that the summer films for this year have not happened. So the summer films for 2021 that were already scheduled, what's going to happen to them? Are we just going to have double the summer blockbusters? From memory, if I look back at the last few years, all the summer blockbusters have been really, really disappointing. So I feel like throw 350 films at us for a summer, you're going to get at least 20 good films, which is better than the last 10 years. So, you know. They're going to be so desperate to make money that they will just throw it out there, just saying, please come, please, please come back. Watch these films, just watch them. Before we get to bold predictions, I want a quick quiz with you, if that's okay. Very quick. Name me three of the top 10 grossing films of 2020. Invisible Man. Yeah. Bill and Ted. No. Tenet. Yes, numbers have been released. Ooh. How many guesses have I got? So I've got two already. Two right got... out of them. Yeah, no, that's it. Sorry. Failed. Right, okay. Two out of three. Ain't bad, as Meatloaf would say. Do I hear the top ten? Yes, please. I'm not going to go through the box office revenue for all these films. I'll tell you the top three. Number ten, Parasite, released in 2019, but 99 million of which, said I wouldn't do this, was accumulated in 2020. Number nine is The Call of the Wild, the critically panned Rus- Russell Howard. He's not Russell Howard. <laughs> Harrison Ford falls in love with a dog. Lassie type film, number nine. Eight, The Invisible Man, as you rightly said. Seven, Disney's Onwards, or Onward. Six, surprising, Birds of Prey. Number five, Doolittle. Turns out my joke, a few episodes back, Doolittle box office. I was wrong. Number four, and I will give you the figures for this. Tenet, how much do you think this has made overall? Worldwide? Yeah. 150 million not too far off the mark surprisingly 250 million which is not bad all things considered is it yeah it's all right number three beating tenet embarrassingly sonic the hedgehog with 308 million number two retained its 
pretty much near top title until the last few months. Bad Boys 2 with a domestic and international combined box office of $424,617,000. What a comeback for Martin Lawrence. Good for him. Indeed. He'll never be in anything ever again following that. And in number one spot, The 800, a Chinese historical war epic, which has gathered so far 428, just shy of half a million thousand Half a million pound. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never heard of that, to be honest. So that was a surprise. I've not either. So over 400 million. Yeah. Do you know what Mulan got? Seem as we said, they'd also not released that. Worldwide, less than 100 million? 60 million. And they released that in Chinese cinemas, didn't they? And they tried yeah. to make it more palatable for Chinese audience by removing the dragon, which was deemed offensive at the time in 1998. Fail. Fail indeed, but all those things considered, number 12 for 2020 at 60 million. So it's not too bad. Anyway, I'm sorry for that little uh, sideways there with the test of the uh, 2020 box office. Just felt like dishing some facts out. No, I think that's totally relevant, totally relevant content. We should maybe watch the 800. It's not going to come out in the UK, is it? So that's no, So that's what could have been. It's what should have been. And also what is. But now, shall we just talk absolute ridiculous nonsense and say what we think is going to happen in the next 12 months? Yes. 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 So you've you've scuppered me here because I had three bold predictions. Oh, no, one of them hasn't come true. It's fine. I've got three bold predictions. I want three from you, James. If you haven't got them, that's on you. Tell me, what have you got? Right, off the top of my head, because I thought this would be more of a like free-flowing conversation. Prediction number one, using deleted scenes from all big films, they'll make a second film. Just make two versions of every film that's going to be released. Do you really think that'll happen? Yes. So you'll have a Black Widow film where her sister's the main character. Enola Widow. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's <laughs> White Widow or something. That's my first prediction. Use, they'll do an Anchorman where they'll make second film delete scenes. Prediction number two, for Black Widow and Wonder Woman, they will do secret reshoots where they actually connect the DC and the Marvel universes via Wonder Woman and Black Widow to cause insane hype. So you'll have Black Widow as she's like falling down like she's, you see in the trailer out of the sky, you have Wonder Woman like lasso Black Widow and say, oh, I've got you. It's fine. Let's share our universes. That's prediction number two. Right. Sorry, I have to stop you there. What you're insinuating almost, if we look at another industry, Sony and Microsoft combining to create the Playbox, it's not going to happen. It is not going to happen, James. Right, okay. Third, if, pr- Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, if I am proved wrong... I will eat my own microphone. My third prediction is if the cinema-going experience doesn't recover, the media industry will develop some kind of system for sending media over radio satellite waves so that you turn your TV on at a specific time and, like... Top Gun Maverick is playing at that specific time that you turn that you're watching it, and you know in advance it's going to be on at this time. Are you talking about cable TV? But no, but you have to pay for it as well. You have to pay, pay per view. Somebody needs to hire you quick. You're an ideas man, right? What are your three predictions? Nowhere near as insane and prophesizing as yours are. I'm sure. By this time next year, and I can be vague, it's still bold, one of the main UK cinema chains will go into administration. And I'm going to call it out to be, given the fact that they're not open nor making money for the foreseeable cine world, and also the fact that I hate all of its clientele. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because of their their etiquette? They have no etiquette. It's just... A free-for-all noise bomb in those screens, and I don't appreciate it, Cineworld. So lock your doors now. Your fate is sealed. Was it Cineworld where we watched Fast and Furious 
11 or whatever, where there was a young family that was just running around as though it was their living room. Yeah, I think so. And an R12A is to be supervised by an adult. It doesn't mean bring a four-year-old. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're going to supervise them, blooming supervise them. Number two, Batman will not be released until 2022 because there will be further shooting delays. Probably an obvious one, that. I like that one. That's a good one. Final, balls it, and I'm going to lay my balls on the line because I believe it's going to happen. If spawned again, Black Widow will be released on Disney Plus for maybe $40 a month. They'll just up the cost. They just can't afford to keep doing it. And they've made money off Mulan. All right, nowhere near what they were expecting. But I think Black Widow is more of a surefire success. So they might go down that route. They're going to release the Marvel shows from the characters that have been Disney Plused, to use John Boyega's verb. So they might just wrap it all up with that, you know, get people in for the shows that are free and then go, oh, if you liked Falcon and Winter Soldier, give us Black Widow as well. So not not to just make this section unnecessarily long, (laughs) but given what you've just said, that was going to be maybe my fourth prediction. So you know how there are all these delays at the minute and we've got this. Is it the fourth wave of Marvel films? Yeah. I feel like there will be nice little Easter eggs alluding to these new films, but these films are just so far off in the distance at the minute that they're going to be like, we can't release any of this shit at the minute. We can't because people will have forgotten about it by the time it comes around. So I was going to say, I bet these don't come out for the foreseeable either. Yeah, it pushes everything back, doesn't it? Because they have those timelines that they show at the Comic-Con conventions, but it's just wrecked it all. Yeah, maybe people will have forgotten or just got bored and thought, you know what, I'm happy just watching Endgame over and over and over again. Yeah. Again. (laughs) (laughs) I can see why you made that fluff up there. It's because everything is gone. It's the word that is prevalent in the mind. Oh, uh, what a horrible time we're living in. But we're, we're, we're getting some laughs out of it at least, so there's always that. But there are reasons to be positive. Or are there? Let's find out with our main review. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. Yes, sit back with your electronic device and listen to our review of Tesla. Is nature a gigantic cat? And if so, who strokes its back? May I introduce the brilliant Nikola Tesla, the greatest inventor of the age. If you Google Nikola Tesla, you get 34 million results. It's basically just four pictures. Beyond that, things get murky and more imaginative. Thomas Alva Edison. You got a light? Oh, Tesla. Didn't see you there before. I now have the pleasure of introducing you to a novel system of energy, alternate currents. This will transform the way the world works. No No sparks. sparks. It's perfect. Where have you been hiding? Alternating current is a waste of time. Wanting to return to safe ground after the failure of Tenet, Christopher Nolan creates a spin-off from The Prestige, centred on Tesla, the lovable inventor, immigrant who gets the job done, first brought to life by David Bowie. But is the latest spin-off a Frasier or a Joey? The film raises important and timeless questions. Can idealism win over capitalism? Is naturally occurring energy a human right? Does a main character need to have any dialogue or personality? How did Bono's daughter manage to break into the entertainment industry? Is it Bono's daughter? Yes, it is. Oh, wow. That was your takeaway from Tesla. IMDB, they say that this is a freewheeling take on visionary inventor Nikola Tesla, his interactions with Thomas Edison and JP Morgan's daughter Anne, and his breakthroughs in transmitting electrical power and light. James, what did you think of Tesla? I only have a very vague idea of the life of Tesla, so I was going into this quite blind. I knew the basics. I felt that there was a plot 
hear whether it was clear or not, I'm not sure, but I felt like there was something to follow. The rhythm of the film was quite disjointed, but I understood that it was intentional. So I was still on board with it. It just jumps from one event to another without any real idea of how much time is passing. If anything, with this film, it was reassuring to watch a film that wasn't an algorithm-determined product. This was a film by a filmmaker who was coming in saying, I'm going to do it this way. I don't care whether you like it or not. (laughs) It's difficult to talk about the plot because it is so disjointed. It's like they have an outline of the key events in Tesla's life, working through the bullet points and just having an interesting scene for each one. And I was interested with all the scenes, especially with the way that it is shot. I can only speculate on this. I've tried looking it up, but it looks like they're using natural light or onset lighting and overexposure to light everything like Stanley Kubrick did in Barry Lyndon. And I thought that was pretty interesting, pretty cool. The casting was good. Ethan Hawke is always good in anything. Joking aside, he plays it quite flat, but it's a very subtle performance, very nuanced. And I was intrigued and drawn in by the performance there. And everyone else is good in it as well. I thought even Bono's daughter, Eve Hewson, and Kyle MacLachlan, as Thomas Edison, was suitably slimy as well. There's odd things going on in here that I think we might get into later and we can talk about them specifically. Very specific style choices made by the director. But I'd say overall, it's a beguiling work of a proper filmmaker. What did you think of Tesla? It is 100% an unconventional biopic, completely. It's just so non-linear. And I think revealing my hand that that's the reason why I liked it so much. I came into it with such expectations that it was going to be such a straightforward biopic that it, it I was quite taken aback once I settled into the groove of it. When I say groove, that's arguable. There might not be too much of a groove to it. It is quite, as you say, disjointed. I mean, just from the opening few minutes, you get a scene between Thomas Edison and Nicholas Tesla where they're plunging ice creams into each other's faces, which is certainly a bit weird. And I later found out ice cream cones not invented until 11 years after that scene set. So that leads me on to my next point, that in a lot of dramatizations of people's lives and, and such, you get these disclaimers, which it says, in certain cases, incidents, characters and timelines have been changed for dramatic purposes. I get the feeling that all of this has been changed for dramatic purposes because you get scenes in which you watch the rivalry between Edison and Tesla, and then that's quickly followed up with a voiceover from Anna saying, this meeting never happened, which makes me a bit like, well, what was the point in it? I don't know, that did rub me up the wrong way, I would say. There's so much weirdness to this film in terms of the way it's shot, the photographic backdrops that people perform against which is obviously as you said it's intentional i said it before i quite liked it for its quirkiness it's not a very cohesive experience but like i say it just wasn't what i expected in the slightest and that's the reason that i do think that i liked it i really don't think it's going to be everyone's cup of tea at all if you wanted a thorough accurate historical story about nicholas tesla i'm pretty sure that this is not it go and watch a documentary but As you said, there is a story in the middle of all this nonsense and I feel as though the most pertinent parts of it are given to you as a viewer. So there is something to follow. It's not along the meandering wilderness that the likes of Tenet and I'm thinking of ending things has shown us recently that there's a lot more to grasp onto here. I don't think you'd be clutching at straws going, I really do not know what I'm watching at all. It's more, as you said, the stylistic choices that are made are just quite odd, but that doesn't affect the story that it's trying to tell. So I'm conflicted, but yeah, does that make sense? (laughs) Yes, yes, that makes sense. It's a difficult film to talk about because it is so strange, but I agree with you. That's what made it good to me. We've talked Mm -hmm. in previous main reviews about films that are very on the nose and immediately easy to understand what is happening and what the message is within the first five minutes. But I think this film is something that could be studied and rewatched. And you can take things like the performing against screens, like the rear projection scenes and the anachronistic 
music and objects. I think it can be talked about and you can take what you want out of it. Did you notice the lighting as well? I, I had a suspicion that there was something going on with natural onset lighting, but there was a scene where Tesla goes to meet Sarah Bernhard, the singer in a bar, and the candles are really overexposed. Did you notice that? They don't look right at all, and it's obviously intentional. I did notice that light in general is overexposed, isn't it, throughout the film in, in a lot of scenes. I can't say I've noticed that particular one. Apparently, I had quite a had a cinematographer who's from quite an indie background who is quite noticeable for shooting things in this sort of way. So maybe that's his sort of aesthetic. And I wondered if there was a thematic link to Tesla's life being all about electricity and power and light, and it was drawing attention to light, all the absence of light in the turn of the century. Again, just an interesting thing that you can pick up on and run with while you're watching it. It, it drew me in with little things like that. It plays with your expectations, I think, as well from the start, because I don't know about you, but during that opening scene, I thought, hang on, this is supposed to be about a guy who's like a pioneer of electricity. Why are they all sat around in candlelight? And then suddenly a generator kicks in and you get electricity and lights. But I thought, oh, that was quite clever. I was already asking the question, where is electricity? And behold. Yeah. Can we talk about Ethan Hawke's performance? I think you're a fan of Ethan Hawke, aren't you, from back in the day? Yes. Love Gattaca, one of my favourite films, and I'm also quite a fan of the Before Trilogy. When I say fan, only have seen two of them, so not that much of a fan. I've seen very critical IMDb reviews, we've already talked about this before today, that said that he doesn't do anything, it's bland and it's a pointless performance that is even offensive to the legendary inventor. But I thought what was going on was that Tesla is sat in silence looking at people and he's detached from them and he's not talking a lot. He doesn't have very much to say. Tessa is not quite for this world. He's existing somewhere else. He's a pure idealist with ideas beyond what anyone else ever thought of. And that means that he doesn't have much to say because he's sort of above everyone. That was what I was thinking. And I enjoyed him in it. What did you think? I got the same sort of impression, actually. And there's a scene which we'll talk about in spoilers, which I think kind of solidifies the idea of what you're you're talking about but he for me spent a lot of the film looking rather perplexed and confused and I think that also added to this idea behind maybe he is ahead of his time and he's not quite gelling with the people around him because he is so far in terms of his thinking in the future yeah and instead of acquiring more and more influence and gathering more and more people to him he gets more and more isolated yeah like literally in the field in Colorado in the middle of nowhere. In terms of the choice to use photography backdrops rather than a physical set, the only thing that didn't really work for me was there was no consistency to how or when that was used because they do have sets for a lot of the dramatic scenes within the film. So it almost felt a bit redundant then employing this weird style of, oh no, he's just going to walk past a historical photograph. I don't know, it, it just didn't seem to have any consistency in how and when it was placed. I felt that as well. At first I thought that it was going to be used as a kind of chapter introduction at evenly spaced points, but that didn't happen. It just started to pop up at random, like you say. Question, in spite of the fact that we both enjoyed it, mainly I would say for its quirkiness and, and non-conventional approach to its storytelling, do you feel as though a lot of the stylistic choices that were made actually work or were of benefit to the film? Because even though I feel like they're the reasons why I liked it, if you did away with all this ridiculous weirdness, you would have a lot more of a straightforward story. And I think the masses would appreciate it a lot more. Like you said, the filmmaker does not care about that. He wanted to make the film that he wanted to make and, and sod everyone else. It's interesting that you say that because the more straightforward film that you're talking about already exists. There is a film available for free to Amazon Prime subscribers called The Secret of Nikola Tesla, which is a 1980 Yugoslav biographical film. And it's exactly the same story because these are true events. He works with Edison. He pitches his motor. He starts digging ditches. Investment from JP Morgan. Electric chair controversy. 
the Tesla coil in Colorado. And it was really interesting to watch The Secret of Nikola Tesla immediately after Tesla on the same day, which was also really confusing. And I've got them mixed up in my head. <laughs> but it's the same events. And if you want an answer to what would it be like if these style choices weren't made, watch The Secret of Nikola Tesla. And it's much less interesting. I think it's good to have that sort of counterbalance to say that you you know the other side of the coin and yeah, perhaps it's not as much of an enjoyable experience. But my word, I mean, you mentioned it before, a lot of people hating on this. There are things that are presented in a very straightforward way in the 1980 film that are done more stylistically in the 2020 film. And it's the style that brings forward some of the themes like Tesla being an outsider, literally in some scenes and the lighting that we've talked about and the anachronisms of objects and music and Google results that we'll get more into in spoilers. Something that I got out of it was a message of anti-capitalism and environmentalism. And if you do it the way Tesla wants to do it, everyone gets energy, everything is free. And it was a battle against Edison and JP Morgan who were more capitalists and looking to make money from everything. And in the 1980 version, it's even clearer because you have JP Morgan saying, but if we make the energy free, I can only sell the energy receivers. What do I sell after that? So that's what I got out of it, but it wasn't explicitly stated. Did you see that as well? I definitely, in a very dumbed down way, because that's what it needs to be for me, I got the sense that he was kind of out of his depth compared to everyone else who was rivaling him. He, He was a visionary. He's a thinking man when it comes to business. He doesn't quite have that acumen. It's it's not within his skill set. That's the impression that I was getting, which is why I feel he probably didn't have the influence or success that a lot of his competitors did have because he just didn't have that business edge to him. That, That was something that I got from the film. Yeah, I got the same thing. I got the same thing. Good to see we're on the same page. And if anything, shows that the film was successful. If we've got something like that out of it, then something must have been going on. It wasn't just a complete mess. No, no, not at all. Even though it's a historical work, there are some bizarre choices that I think it's best discussed in spoilers. Before we do, Daniel, would you recommend Tesla? I will say... As I have before, I really liked this film. I I genuinely did, even though I had problems with it. I do personally feel as though I can't fully recommend this film only because I don't want our listening audience to not value my opinion. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm changing my opinion based on what I think is going to happen off the back of a recommendation. I just feel as though this is not going to be everyone's jam at all. I think you have to be in a very particular mood and like a particular type of film to enjoy this. And I just know that the majority won't. So I'm not going to recommend it, but I did like it. James, what about you? I echo much of what you've just said, but I'll submit a yes for recommendation. If what we have discussed intrigues you enough to give the film a watch, then so be it. Just don't come knocking on our door or sending us emails to inthealspodcast at gmail.com complaining. Thanks. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Again, difficult one for spoilers because it's a historical film. At the end, it just fizzles out. It's him in Colorado fading into obscurity and they note that he died in 1943 in a hotel room. Destitute. And the 1980 version actually starts with him in the hotel room being interviewed for a newspaper. And then it circles back to that at the very end. So it's not about the plot. So we're not in spoilers because of the plot, but there are things stylistically that I want to talk about that are shocking that I don't want to spoil. Number one, did you notice Thomas Edison using an iPhone? What? In the scene where (laughs) Tesla and Edison meet and then... And Morgan says, this meeting never happened. It's yeah, the yeah, yeah. Tesla is looking into that video box thing. Yeah. Behind him, Tesla is sat at the bar and he's flicking through an iPhone in his hand. Right. I, I took in all of that that you just mentioned, apart from the iPhone, but completely passed me by that. No. It's very brief. And I thought it links to the, the Google thing. So it was consistent with the style. But I thought what was happening was there's a straight line from the attitude of Edison and capitalism, boo, to the consumer iPhone-obsessed world that we have today. 
Tessa and Edison didn't reconcile. Edison became the more prominent man and look at the world that it's created. That's what I thought was happening there. I think that's a fair bet, yeah. I think you're, you're onto something there. The 80s music that pops up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, liked it, but it was just, it felt as if this is not the character of Nicholas Tesla, but Ethan Hawke carrying out an extremely piss-poor, bad karaoke version of Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears, where he emphasises in a very gruff way the world. <laughs> Which is a bit off-putting. But yeah, very jarring. What did you what did you make of that? I think lyrically, it, it works extremely well. When the intro to the song first came on, I thought, this is brilliant. This is... Again, a director saying, you know what? I'm going to have Tears for Fears in this film. Don't care. Going for it. And I thought, yes, do it. Having fun with this story, it was a good way to go. I liked it. And, you know, the message is obvious. Everyone wants to rule the world. And it links into some other stuff that I've been hammering away at in this review. I liked it. Yeah, it was odd, but I agree. I think it worked. There was a second scene of 80s music where 80s club music comes on when they first go to meet Sarah Bernhardt, the singer, and it abruptly cuts off. There's a few scenes like that. Like It's not even just the use of the music, is it? It's how that music ends. There's at least three scenes, I think, where there's like either a door shutting or a character starts speaking. It just dramatically either interrupts the score or the music that's being played. It's just That's why I say it, even though there's things that I admired, I just thought, but what is the purpose of some of this stuff? It, it does feel odd for odd's sake. That's my only complaint. Yeah, I agree. I can understand people watching it and thinking, what's the point of this? This just makes no sense. It's pretentious rubbish and makes no mm. sense. I get that. Turns out, though, if you're a bunch of pretentious wankers such as us, it works. And there are some more heavy-handed moments of symbolism, like when, towards the very end, Tesla visits JP Morgan while he's playing tennis and Tesla is literally on the outside with his face up against the fence looking all disheveled and JP Morgan says oh I'm not going to give you any more money all I care about is money and Tesla's just standing there on the outside through the fence trying to change the world just not involved well on the way to his path to obscurity. That was the scene I was alluding to earlier on as well, where I feel as though that message, as you said, of him being the outsider and, and in isolation. I mean, he's, he is largely shunned at the very end of that scene. It's like he walks off just a broken man. It felt like he was a bullied child in the playground, actually, but was forced to sit on the outside of the playground. It was quite a sad scene, really. Yeah, it was sad. Did you pick up on Anne Morgan's little monologue at the end and how it fits into a lot of what we've been baffled by for the last hour and a half when she says, and I quote, do you remember my face when I realised it was hopeless between us? Or does everything just get jumbled in your head? Not a sequence of numbers, but a blur of images, impressions, feelings, the way most of us remember things. Just basically excusing the fact that Shit, a lot of stuff did not make sense, but it's all right because there's this little sentence throwaway line at the end which makes everything just fall into place. Not. Yeah, I, I picked up on that as well. Yeah. Similar to, and this is such a strange film straw comparison with in Mission Impossible Fallout, where someone asks Tom Cruise, Who's chasing you? And he says, CIA, the apostles, does it matter? Someone's chasing me. I'm running away. <laughs> and it's giving the audience permission to not care. Or it's telling the audience, yes, your feelings about this are correct. This is a jumble of things. There was another scene. I don't think it was the same scene, but she does a similar trick where she says to Tesla, idealism cannot work hand in hand with capitalism. Are dreams and intelligence enough to save the world? Basically telling the audience, hello, these are the themes of this film. This is what this film is about. Because <laughs> I was steering towards those for the previous 90 minutes. Then when she said that, I thought, okay, this is what this film is about. A bit of vindication for you at the end there. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, and this is a stretch, the film itself represents that because they've released it digitally. They've not hung around to maximize the money to release in cinemas. They've just said, you know what? We want to get this out there. So we're going to release it digitally, get the art out to the public and just see what happens. 
let's face it though i think if the studio were being honest with themselves this was never going to succeed at a cinema anyway just from word of mouth alone obviously we're both favorable in terms of this film but the consensus is what the fuck yeah you're right i'll cut that out i'll cut that bit out or i'll leave it in and this (laughs) and this and this next week are we going to be more mainstream james I believe we're doing a double bill of Welcome to the Bloom House, The Lie, and Black Box. That's the ticket. Yes, we shall be treating you, our listeners, to a nice little lead-up week on week to Halloween by uh, reviewing the films that James has just mentioned. There's no point repeating that. So, yes, that's what we'll be doing next week. And the week after that, we'll do the other two Welcome to the Bloom House films. You're in for a ride, James, because you hate horror, so I cannot wait for this. If anything can change your opinion on horror, surely it's some absolute run-of-the-mill average Blumhouse Pictures production, so we can only hope. In the interim, if you do wish to get in touch with us, please do so. You can email us at inthealespodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, inthealespodcast, and share, share the podcast. Please share the podcast. Sounded desperate then. Right, I think we should go. See you later, everyone. Bye.